my name's Tina. Um, I, <laughs> I have lived a life of extreme trauma from age zero. So when I was 22, most yeah, sexual, emotional, physical trauma. So by the time I was 22, I, uh, you know, was drinking and doing drugs a lot, mostly to turn off the psychic radio, which I didn't realize at the time was really what was driving my drug addiction and also to deal with, you know, the trauma of life. I was living with my one and only boyfriend. Well, the one and only time I've ever lived with a boyfriend uh, in Boston in 1992. And I got pregnant and I didn't even know I was pregnant until it was too late. And uh, the at the hospital, SF General, I didn't have insurance or anything. So I knew I needed to get an abortion and they thought I was uh, 15 weeks along. So I was too late for a regular abortion. So they had to give me an induced miscarriage. So they tried to do that in the operating room. Uh, it didn't work. So they had to actually go in surgery to have the abortion. But when they were doing the ultrasound in between, because they didn't understand why the induced miscarriage wasn't working, they discovered I was actually pregnant with twins and I was only nine weeks pregnant. And so that's why it didn't work. But as I was under the anesthetic before I, right before I went over, I remember the doctor was saying, you know, you got to stop doing this to yourself as if I was the only one involved in getting pregnant. And I was really angry. I mean, I was very angry most of my life just from all the everything, you know, dealing with patriarchal society and I remember going under and I was so anemic at the time I was always passing out on the street I didn't realize that you know when you get pregnant your 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 uh, blood sugar often goes wackadoo so I basically bled out on the operating table pretty quickly I just slipped right out of my body and I was floating above the operating table. I could see everybody freaking out. I could sense that everybody was really annoyed with the fact that they had to give me an abortion and that I was like non-funded for this operation. They were all really kind of pissed off about it. And I just didn't care. I was so angry. I was like, whatever, I just want to go. And so I just turned around and I floated up and I saw this tunnel and I was met by this really beautiful androgynous being that was blue whose voice sounded like an oak tree is the only way I can describe it. And basically they just said, you know, you can, you can go now if you want. And it was just so beautiful and so loving there. I, you know, I was, I was, it was kind of ironic that dying was the most beautiful experience of my life up until that point. But I, you know, I was tempted, I was tempted to just go young age of 22 because I felt so done with the world and they said if I chose to go back that there was a lot of work I needed to do and that my existence would be helpful to the world if I did go back that I needed to to you know go back and if I did go back I needed to commit you know so I was like okay I guess I'll go back you know and going back into my body felt like kind of like when you're in a bathtub and you're floating in the water and it feels really good and then the water leaves and it's everything becomes really heavy like concrete it felt like I was living in concrete and everything hurt and I ended up spending three days in the hospital recovering my boyfriend at the time never even showed up which was a little bit painful in itself I found out as soon as I left the hospital and finally did go back to our apartment 
he never came to pick me up. So I just had to lie and say that he was there to pick me up. And I just walked back to the apartment. And as soon as I walked in, apparently he had just cheated on me. <laughs> so, and I was so angry and so over it and so determined now that I had been told by this blue being that I had work to do and I had to get on my path, basically, that I just was like, call this. And <laughs> I just uh, moved out of that apartment within a week and got a ticket to California and just decided I was going to get on the train, go to California and be a comic book artist because that's what I really wanted to do. And, you know, so I did and uh, moved to San Francisco and the next for the next 30 years, I was living there making comic books. But the thing about having crossed over, so to speak, is that now a friend of mine actually said, oh, you're a version 2.0, meaning, you know, you've, you've gone and come back. <laughs> it was a good way of putting it because now the channel was open and uh, I started to be able to see ghosts and energies and being able to perceive uh, weird time loops and stuff. I was, you know, still kind of smoking weed, doing all that stuff for years. I didn't get clean until about five years ago. And that's when the psychic radio went full blast. After 2012, I had like my life, my whole life just fell apart. I had another relationship that also ended up being very abusive and I was just done. I was like, I'm just done. If I can't have a relationship that isn't like this, then I'm just not going to have relationships anymore. And I decided to embrace the hopelessness, as the Buddhists say, um, by just accepting who I was and not trying to make something happen that just wasn't happening. And so I basically went this again and I just moved out of my apartment and I bought this box truck and I just drove in a 13,000 mile circle around America for the last eight or nine years. I guess it's been, you know, watching the fire, sitting in the woods, looking at fires <laughs> and really kind of doing a lot of the shadow work that I had so needed to do in order to get over all of my trauma from the past and to really learn how to learn how to love myself. Um, in the midst of that, I found a dog on the street. Her name is Sadie. And when I first found her, my heart was like on fire. What is this strange feeling in my heart? It's like awesome, but it hurts. And I was like, oh, this must be love. And I was, all of a sudden I was like, wait, I'm 45 years old. And this is the first time I've ever felt actual love for another living thing you know I've, I'd felt it for my pianos and my bicycles and things but never really people I couldn't trust them enough to have that kind of feeling towards them and so my standards went whoop and I just basically after that I was like if anyone doesn't make me feel this way the way my dog makes me feel then I don't need to be around them and it was a good um, way to set a boundary for myself on what kinds of situations and people I should get myself involved in from that point on and it really made a huge difference it also taught me how to stay with myself instead of abandoning myself in so many situations because when you're growing up in trauma and a lot of times you're dissociating and leaving your body i think the plus side of that is that it makes it a lot easier in meditation to pull away from whatever you're going through and to be able to see things from an observer point of view because you've spent most of your life observing from back in your head is someone else <laughs> and um in that sense it made it a lot easier to see the bigger picture of things and then i 
decided to start taking classes at shaman school online while the pandemic was happening and we did a lot of past life regression and stuff like that and we talked a lot about soul retrieval and it didn't occur to me until after I had already gone in this giant circle around America that I ended up driving back to every house we had lived in growing up because we were in the military, so we were always moving. But I ended up going back to every house I lived in and picking up the kid part of myself that was left there or who, who had gone through what she had gone through in those places. And uh, I felt whole, more whole than I'd ever felt before and more like in the driver's seat of my own life instead of just reacting to things and feeling like a victim constantly, I really felt like I had the ability to protect myself, not with stigmatized negative judgments from others. Cause a lot of times I think I was trying to protect myself by being the drug addict or by being the weirdo so that people would stay away from me. And it kind of shifted my polarity sort of shifted and I began, began began to understand how to protect myself with trust and love and compassion and self-compassion. And so after I had done all the soul retrieval and started picking up all my former parts, a lot of the anger that I had felt towards my parents started to shift because I could now see how so many of the things that were done to me as a child were also done to them as children, though they would never admit it in person. In fact, they ended up disowning me when I got sober because <laughs> I started asking all these questions to try and put together the pieces of the ancestral trauma and figure out how far back it went, you know, and they just denied everything and said, you're crazy or get away from us. Don't ever talk to us again. And I was like, that's cool. You know, that's really what I wanted was to go into contact with my parents. And I didn't know how to do that in a way that wasn't going to be and yelling at each other and stuff so it actually worked out really well they you know they admitted we're much happier without you in our life because you know when you're the scapegoat you represent everything negative to them and that they don't, they don't want to face and so them ejecting me from their life was the best gift ever changed my name I moved away from where I was again in my truck and now they don't know where I am and it's like liberation is, you know, it's sometimes gets slowly, but it's totally worth it. It's been great. I've been learning how to cope drug-free and a lot of it has been about the psychic woo-woo stuff, you know, is really what's been pulling me through more than anything else. Because when I learned all the past life traumas that I had been through, like burning at the stake as a witch, or, you know, whenever I was living a life where I wanted to try and heal people, I, they would then turn on me and the betrayal would happen and then I would be killed for it. Seeing how that was the pattern in my life um, up until then, it kind of made me really resonate with the theory that most of us in life that are coming into some severe darkness when we're younger uh, and having drug addiction issues and things like that, that we are the shamans of our generation. You know, this is a 100,000 year old practice. And I always thought that the stuff I was doing out in the woods and talking in the trees was just because I was crazy and weird. But in fact, these were all like actual techniques that go way back. You know, and that most of us that feel dejected from society are in fact the the people that you know the people that can see with both eyes because we've been on both sides of the fence as it were so at one point when i was driving around the country doing my uh, inadvertent soul retrieval i was standing on um i was doing a little ritual in the river across 
the bank, there's the river in upstate New York it's called the Mohawk River. And when I was a kid, when I was 10, I used to play on this one side of the river all the time. And outside of my eye, I would always see somebody standing on the other side of the river. And I just thought it was like a ghost or something, but whatever it was, it was really comforting. And I used to love to kind of see it and it was, you know, tell me everything's going to be okay. Don't worry. Just get through this time and you'll be all right. And then when I was back there 30 years later doing this ritual, I realized I was standing in the exact place where I had always seen the ghost that was telling me everything was going to be all right. And then I realized that my guide was myself from the future. <laughs> it was like this weird quantum erasure of time like time just didn't exist or that later when i got into reiki and everything i realized it was extremely important now for me to go and send all that energy back into my past to to complete the loop and not only to myself but also to the previous seven or so generations of of women that had been abused before me whether or not they choose to accept it i don't know but it felt really good to close that karmic cycle because I no longer am rotating in the same abusive patterns. And it's easier for me to pop out from those experiences when they are happening. And in that sense, it also makes it easier for me to help people cross over when I do find ghosts in my environment. The last house I lived in in San Francisco was super haunted. <laughs> so haunted. It was like a, a house from 1853 and there were just a lot of people stuck there, lots of death and, and betrayal. And I would always see this one guy, he was dressed in like 1920s clothing. And uh, during the 15 years or so that I lived there, you know, there were at least seven or eight other roommates who would move in and then eventually they'd get really depressed. And then as soon as they moved out, they were fine because his energy was so oppressive. And uh, finally, I decided because there were so many people in that building, I was just going to do a giant releasing ritual for everybody that was in there. And it was like a big boat came and they all got on the boat and went, <laughs> they're all, you know, they all happy to go, except for the one guy, he would not leave. He kept going pacing back and forth in the hallway and, you know, I'd have parties and shows at my house and other people would see him walking around too, you know, and they'd be like, did you see? I'd be like, yeah, that's the guy he's waiting for me. And I was getting angry at him because he wouldn't go. And uh, so I ended up having to read through about 2,500 obituaries. I knew he had died somewhere in between 1921 and 24. So I read through all of the obituaries online in San Francisco that during that time. And I, you know, it was, it was daunting. It was overwhelming. But then I knew as soon as I found his obituary, it was going to make sense. And it did because as soon as I read his obituary, all the hair on my body just stood up. And apparently he had lived in the house and was having an affair with a woman in the same place. And she convinced him that her husband was abusive. Her name was Maggie. Maggie convinced John to kill her husband, George, because she's like, he abuses me. And if we kill him, we can go be married. So John stabbed George to death. And then Maggie turned him into the cops, turned John into the cops. So he was arrested and put in prison and she never went to see him or anything. She just left him there. And then she went and married somebody else. And John felt so betrayed that he himself in prison. He was only like 22 or 23. But when I read that obituary and I knew his level of betrayal resonated so deeply with me I felt so bad about being an asshole to him because I was like okay I thought I had dealt with betrayal dude this is like beyond so 
I had a releasing ritual for him then, and he was fine to go. He just wanted people to know his story and why he felt so betrayed. The takeaway I've gotten from dealing with all these emotions and feeling stuff is that we resonate with whatever we're feeling as well. Like we're on the same uh, frequency. When the frequency of forgiveness comes through and, and manages to transmute some of that darkness and allows people to let go of whatever guilt or self-hatred or anger that they're stuck in, it's all about sound. It's all about frequency. And that's why we have to acknowledge our own emotions just as much as we acknowledge those that, of the people around us that are dead or, or even living. You know, it's really important, I think, to acknowledge everything. And uh, just, just to everyone to have a lot more self-compassion, especially to people who are living with CPTSD, to let go of all those negative thoughts. You can acknowledge them and accept that you feel that way, <laughs> but you don't need to let it ruin your life. It's like a horse. You gotta learn how to ride the rage horse. Because when you ride the rage horse and you get on board and you hold the reins, you can gently guide that energy towards pure joy.